have me to say. Help me to not say those things which would not be pleasing to you, Lord. Help me to be able to preach in the right spirit, Lord. And I pray that you would allow all of us to look at the scriptures tonight, to be able to learn from it, to be challenged. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 44. And in Isaiah 44, there is a, uh, a theme that you find, a recurring theme throughout the chapter. And I want to just highlight it for you. And this is actually something that we saw in Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 42. We'll see it in Isaiah 45. But I want to show it to you in Isaiah 44. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says this. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Notice verse 2, and this is the theme that you find in this chapter, that the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, is the Creator. Notice verse 2, Thus saith the Lord that made thee, do you see that? And formed thee from the womb, which will help thee fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now that word Jeshurun, just for those of you that like to take notes, that word is only found three other times in the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 15, Deuteronomy 33, verse 5, and verse 26. And it seems to be a name that God calls Israel, and it's brought up here in Isaiah 44. We won't spend a lot of time on that. Just wanted to throw that out there. Skip down to verse number 21 of chapter 44, and look at verse 21 of chapter 44. Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for thou art my servant. Notice what he says. I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. So again, highlighting the fact that he created them, that he formed thee. Look at verse 24 of the same chapter, Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. So again, he's emphasizing the fact that he is the Lord, he is the creator, he made you, he created everything. God is the creator, the God of the Bible is the one that created us. Now there's also another theme that you find in this chapter. Let me highlight it for you. Look, look at verse number 6 of Isaiah 44 and verse 6. The other theme is that not only is God the creator, but that the God of the Bible is our Savior. He is the one that saves. Notice Isaiah 44 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, notice what he says, and his Redeemer. Now the word Redeemer is a reference to the one who redeems you, or the one that saves you, the one that purchases you. He says, His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Look at verse 22, same chapter, Isaiah 44, verse 22. Notice what he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Remember we saw that earlier in Isaiah. He's the one that blots out our sins. He's the one that takes away, you know, the fact that we are sinners. I blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. So he's saying, I'm the one that purchased you. I'm the one that saved you. Look at verse 23. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forests, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Verse 24, thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. So I want you to notice, and we've seen it, I won't take the time to go back to chapters 43 and 42, but we've seen this idea that God is the Creator, and that God is the Savior. Now, I want you to understand this. Satan has an agenda and has had an agenda uh, today in the United States of America. He's pursuing this agenda. And in the day of Isaiah, in the nation of Israel, in the, in the nation of Judah, he had this Isaiah and he, ha he has this agenda. And his agenda is to cause people to reject the God of the Bible, to cause people to reject the Creator God. Now you say, well, why would Satan have an agenda to cause people to reject God? And here's why. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 44. And I know that we're going to look at a lot of verses. I kind of have to lay the foundation for the sermon. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy is in the New Testament. 1 Timothy, uh, all the T books are clustered together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. So if you find the T book in the New Testament, you'll find 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1 says this. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of, and notice what he says, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So here Paul says, hey, God 
is our Savior. That matches what Isaiah was teaching, that God is the one that forgives us of our sins, blots out our sins, redeems us from our sins. In Isaiah 43, it actually said that He was the Savior, that there is none other Savior other than God. And here, Paul says, God our Savior. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy. So if you flip to the next book, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, look at verse number 10. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and look at verse number 10. The Bible says this, but is now made manifest by the appearing, notice what he says, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that? So who, according to Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse 10, is the Savior? It is Jesus Christ. Okay, now Paul also said in 1 Timothy 1.1 to Timothy, he said, God our Savior. You say, was Paul confused? Which one is the Savior? Is it God or is it Jesus Christ? Well, here's the thing. It's both because Jesus is God. Okay, you got to understand this. Just like Isaiah was teaching, Isaiah 44, God is the creator, but he is also the savior. It is not a separate savior. God who created you, who created me, is also the one that saves. He is our savior, Jesus Christ. He is God, our savior. Go to Titus chapter number one. Titus chapter number one. If you flip over to Titus chapter one, look at verse four. Titus chapter one, verse four. Titus one four says this to Titus. Mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Go to Titus chapter number 2. Look at verse 13. Flip over to chapter 2 and verse 13. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at what the Bible says. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. You see that? Jesus Christ. Now, people try to say, well, there's a difference between God and the Savior. No, He's the great God, and He's also our Savior, and it's the same one. It's Jesus Christ. I mean, these terms are being used interchangeably. God, our Savior, Christ, our Savior. God, the great God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 3 and verse 6. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 6. Titus chapter number 3 and verse 6. The Bible says this, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So here's what I want you to understand, okay? According to the Bible, according to Isaiah, God, Jehovah of the Bible, is the creator. He created us. He made you. He made me. He made everything that we see, everything that we are. We were created by God. And that same God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. That same God became a man. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. His name was Jesus Christ. He died to save us from our sins. Jesus is God. You've got to understand that, all right? You say, well, why does it matter? Here's why it matters. When you reject God, the Creator, you at the same time reject Jesus, the Savior. When you stop believing in God, when you say, there is no God, there is no Creator, at the same time, you are rejecting the Savior because the Savior, Jesus Christ, is God. And the agenda is this. Can you get back to Isaiah 44? Isaiah 44, and uh, look at verse 9. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus saith unto them, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. you got to understand this. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Right. It's not, you know, today we've got the liberals who want to say, well, there's different ways to get to heaven, and, you know, Islam's following their light, and the Buddhists are following their light, and people are just kind of following the light that's been given to them, and we follow Christianity. you got to understand, that is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and he said, no Man, he said, nobody, not one person can make it to the Father but by me. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, who is God, the Creator. Now here's the agenda that Satan has. Here's the agenda that Satan has today and that Satan has had all throughout history. Is if he can get man to quit worshiping God, the Creator, and to begin to worship the creation, then he can get man to reject the God who created him and at the same time reject the God who can save him. See, Satan wants to get us to the place today where we worship the creature more than the Creator. Look at Isaiah 44. Notice what he talks about. Now, in Isaiah 44, Isaiah is preaching against idolatry. And this was something that was prevalent at his time. And you've got to understand the culture. 
people were making statutes and worshiping them. And Isaiah 44 is probably one of the, the probably the best chapter against idolatry in all of Scripture. And let's just run through some of the verses real quickly. Look at verse 9, Isaiah 44 and verse 9. Notice what Isaiah says. He says, They that make a graven image. The word graven means something that's engraven or an image that has been, you know, you've engraved an, an image into a, a piece of metal or a piece of wood. He says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity. The word vanity means empty. And their delectable things, the word delectable means beautiful or attractive. He said, these images that they make, he said, they're beautiful. They're beautiful works of art. But he says, these things shall not profit. He says, these people make these idols. It's not going to help them. It shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. He says, the ones who make the idols are the best witnesses in regards to that idol. Just like you and I go out and we go out witnessing, we go witness about Jesus Christ, we tell people about what Jesus has done for us, the fact that He saved us and He's given us uh, the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, you who worship an idol, you are the best witness. Notice, last part of verse 9, they see not nor know that they may be ashamed. He says, hey, you've got the best witness of what your idol does. It doesn't see and it doesn't know anything. Look at verse 10. He said, Who hath formed a god or molten a a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Now here's what he's saying. He's saying, Who has created a god that is profitable for anything? That does anything? Who, Who takes a statue? Who takes a piece of metal? Who takes a piece of wood and forms it into a god? And that god accomplishes anything. Look at verse 11. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed. Now notice what he says. He says, The workmen, they are of men. He says, Isaiah's preaching to people who are worshiping false gods. And he says, you have created gods that were created by men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. They shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. Verse 12. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashioneth it with hammers and worketh in the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. Here's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, you expect me to fall down and worship uh, an idol that a man took, and in the strength of his arm, by the time that man was done preparing and creating that, uh, that, uh, that idol, he was tired, and he was hungry, and he was thirsty. He said, you want me to worship a God that was created by a man? Look at verse 13. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule. Said the carpenter took out his tape measure there and he began to measure out, you know, how he wanted to make this idol. He marked it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, he maketh it out with the compass, he maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. Verse 14. He heweth him down cedars. Said, You cut down a tree and take it the cypress and the oak which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest he planted an ash, and the rain does nourish it, then shall it be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof and warm himself, yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread, yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it, he maketh it a great and vivid image and falleth down thereto. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you plant a tree, you cut down the tree, you take half of the wood to kindle fire, and then you make a god out of this tree, you, uh, you set it up, and then you fall down and worship something that you created, and something that was created, a tree, a piece of wood, or a piece of metal that has been molten down, or melted down, and graven into me. He said, you want us to fall down and worship the creature, instead of the creator, the God that made us? Instead of the God that, that, that designed all this, instead of the God that gave us the metals and gave us the tree, and the residue thereof, verse 17, maketh a God, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth of it. He prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? You say, well, Pastor Benes, I don't understand how this applies to us today because we don't worship uh, idols today. Well, you're, you're wrong about that, number one. There's a whole religion called Catholicism that all they do is worship idols in the United States of America. But outside of the United States of America, and other, you know, places have idols too. Outside the United States of America, there's all sorts of places where they worship idols today. But you, you say, well, well, we're sophisticated. But here's what you understand. Satan doesn't care if you are falling down and worshiping a tree, 
He doesn't care if you're falling down and worshiping an idol uh, 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 made out of metal. If you take a bunch of metal and melt it down and turn it. He doesn't care if you what you worship as long as you're worshiping the creation. Here's the only thing he doesn't want you to worship. The creator. He doesn't want you to worship the God that created you. He wants you to worship anything that that God created. In the United States of America, we're sophisticated. We're educated. We have colleges and universities. And today we don't fall down and worship a creation like an idol. But we still worship the creation. We just call it evolution. We just say there is no God. And, and we're, we are the most evolved species on this earth. And, and it's just all about what? The creature, not the creator. We just call it atheism. There is no God. God didn't create us. We're just here. We just call it environmentalism. It's all about Mother Earth, and we got to take care of the environment. And it's all about, you know, if, if we don't take care of the trees, if we don't take care of the ocean, keep Tahoe blue, right? It's all environmental. And you say, well, I'm not for littering. Look, neither am I. But I'm here to tell you, we can't get this idea that we're, we're being fed in our society today that it's all about the environment. In our society, it's humanism. If it feels good, do it. It's all about me. As long as I'm happy, as long as I feel good, I'm the God of my life. But here's what you understand. As soon as you begin to worship you or the environment or evolution or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Satan doesn't care if you're falling down in front of a cow in India or if you're falling down in front of yourself in your own heart. As long as you're worshiping the creature and not the creator, he's happy. He's fine with it. In the United States of America, it's materialism. People fall down and worship their houses, fall down and worship their toys, they fall down and worship their cars, fall down and worship their 401k, fall down and worship the almighty dollar. Here's what you understand. It does not matter what you worship as an idol, as long as you're not worshiping God. That's the agenda. Now you say, well, why, why does Satan care? Why does it matter? And here's why it matters. Are you there in Isaiah 44? Look at verse number 18. And I want... I want you to look at what the Bible says. And we're going to look at a lot of different references tonight. And I want you to forget everything you've ever been taught. Forget everything you, you say. Well, I've been taught a whole lot of things in other Baptist churches. That's fine. That's great. I've been to other churches that weren't Baptist. And they said, that's fine. Just do me a favor. Look at what the Bible says. And forget about what you've been taught, what you've been told. Just look at what Scripture says and let the Bible teach us what God is trying to teach us. Because notice what he says. He spends these, you know, 10 plus verses telling us that they're worshiping an idol. They're worshiping a tree. They're worshiping metal. And then in verse 18, he says this. They have not known nor understood. For he, notice, for he has shut their eyes. Now you got to understand this. They didn't shut their own eyes. They're the ones that are worshiping. They're the ones that have not known. They're the ones that have not understood. The he there is the creator. The he there is the God that made them. The he has shut their eyes that they, notice, it's not that they will not see, it's that they cannot see. Do you see that? And their hearts. He shut their eyes. He shut their hearts that they cannot see, that they cannot understand. It's not that they will not. It's not that they do not want to. It's that they can't understand. Look at verse 19. And none considereth in his heart. Neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burnt part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof as an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He says, he says really? He said, none of you just take a moment to think. You just cut a tree down. You use the wood to burn up, you know, to, to grill and to make barbecue. And now you're going to fall down and worship the rest of it. None of you stop to think this is a little silly. But see, it's not that they will not. It's that they cannot. And today, you know, fundamentalist Christians like us will stand up and say, evolution is wrong. The Bible teaches God created the heavens and the earth. We were not created, you know, we're, this is not the Big Bang. We did not come from monkeys. And people say, you're uneducated. I'm uneducated because I don't think I came from a monkey. Wow. We were taking, we took these guys out that were visiting from out of town. We took them out to uh, uh, Pier 39 to go uh, do some sightseeing. 
to the Fisherman's Wharf there. If you've been to Fisherman's Wharf, you know that there's an area there where you can see the, the, the sea lions. And we were joking around there saying, see, there's the proof for evolution. It's a half lion and half seal, you know, whatever. Think to myself, yeah, and, and nobody stopped, because here's the thing. Here's, here's what they teach you in school about evolution, all right? Because evolution makes no sense. Because here's what they teach you. That, you know, an animal that used to live in the water came out of the water and then became like an animal on, on earth. But here's what, the, here's what you don't understand. When that sea lion, if it were to come out of the water and turn into like a real lion, it'd have to get rid of those fins, right? Those fins would have to turn into paws. You know, it had to stop, you know, living the way it does now and, and, and convert. And here's what they tell kids. They say, you say, well, how did that happen? And they'll show them this little graph where they take a little, you know, a little squirrel that turned into a chicken, that turned into a monkey, that turned into a kind of something that looks like a human. And, and it turned into, you know, and eventually became a man. And they'll say, this happened over millions and millions of years. Okay, here's what doesn't make sense, though. That, that, uh, that, that in-between image, you know, that sea lion that's not exactly a sea lion, but not exactly a lion yet. He's kind of missing some fins, and he doesn't really know what to do. Hey, how did that one survive? How did that one find a mate and have children? You understand what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't, you know, if evolution was true and they were just kind of slowly turning, the only way that evolution would make sense is if it happened instantaneously. If, like, a chicken gave birth to a monkey, who then gave birth to a human. That's the only way it would make sense. Because if, it, if it's, you know, Neanderthal man, well, listen, how did Neanderthal man go around and find a mate that was just like it so that it could have a baby that kind of progressed us a little further? And you say, well, yeah, that is kind of silly. But nobody stopped to think about that. That's what Isaiah is saying. None of you stopped to think about the fact that this is a tree. None of you stopped to think about the fact that we've seen nothing evolved. There's no monkeys that are half humans right now. There's nothing that it's in the process of being evolved. No one stopped. But here's what you guys are saying. And here's the agenda. Satan understands that if you reject God, he will eventually reject you. Because he says, he says, they don't understand. Not because they don't understand, because they cannot understand. He says, they don't see, not because they shut their own eyes, but because their eyes have been shut. And let me show you the fulfillment of this. Go to Matthew chapter number 13. And just, just pay attention, we're going to... We're going to just look at what the Bible says and let the Bible define itself and let the Bible teach us. This is something I preach about from time to time. And, and there's people in our church that don't agree with this, and that's fine. That doesn't matter to me. You know that you can disagree with me and I'll still like you. You can be wrong. It doesn't matter to me. But uh, you, you can disagree with me. You don't have to like everything I preach. You know, we still like you. We're praying for you, of course. But I just want you to see what the Bible says. And notice what, what the Bible says in Matthew 13, chapter 14. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 14. Notice what Jesus said. These letters are in red because this is what Jesus said. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Isn't that what we're reading right now? What we're studying, the book of Isaiah? And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing they hear not. By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, quoting a different verse. And seeing, ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Verse 15. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Now I want you to notice this word, last. You see this word, last? It says, their, their ears don't hear, their eyes don't see, and this is Jesus. He says, last. Now the word, last... Our word that we would use would be unless. And here's what he means by that. He says, so that one should not. He says, in case they might. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, their eyes are shut, their ears are closed, just in case they might, just unless. He says, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted. Now, do you understand what Jesus just said? He said their eyes are shut and their ears are closed just in case they want to be converted. Jesus is saying, I don't want them converted. He's talking to the Pharisees, by the way. Very religious people. Very clean people. Very sacrificial people with all their, their nice clothing and all their hypocrisy. He's looking at these religious people and he says, they're, they're saying, you know, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you preach in parables? He said, I preach in parables because I don't want them to understand. I don't want them to hear. I want their eyes to be closed. He says, just like Isaiah, their eyes are closed. Their ears are shut. Just in case they want to understand, I don't want them to understand. This is what Jesus taught. 
Well, I can't believe that Jesus... Here's what I've noticed about Jesus in the Bible. Everybody likes Jesus until they find out what he's actually taught. Everybody likes the Bible until they find out what the Bible actually says. As long as you've got this creation in your own mind of what Jesus is, this long-haired, blue-eyed, blonde, hippie, you know, with long hair and wearing a dress, and as long as, as, long as that's the Jesus that I'm following, that's good. But this, this Jesus in the Bible who's saying, I don't want you to understand, I don't want you to perceive, I don't want you to get it, I don't want you to be converted. You say, well, what, what are you trying to teach? Go to, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Go to Genesis chapter number 6. Let's just build a foundation. Let me give you some things to think about. And again, my job is to teach you what the Bible says to the best of my ability. Your job is not to believe what I say because I say it. Your job is to study, to show yourself approved unto God. Your job, your job is to receive it in the right spirit and then go home and uh, see whether those things are so. Search the scriptures, whether those things are so. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3. And I want you to notice that this is... Uh, before, not right before, but before the Noahic flood, leading to the Noahic flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says this, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. Here's what he's saying. My spirit, the word strive means to work alongside or to work with. He says, My spirit's not always going to strive with man. See, you've got to understand this. There comes a time when God eventually... Now look, not immediately. We're not Calvinists. Not immediately. The Bible says that God wants everyone. The Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that whosoever will may come, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everyone has a chance at salvation. But, but, if Satan can get you to reject the God of creation and to begin to worship the creature more than the creation. And if you reject that God enough and reject that God enough and reject that God enough, the Bible teaches that there comes a time when He eventually rejects you. And He closes your eyes. And He makes your ears dull. And He doesn't want you to understand. And it's not that you never had a chance. It's that you had so many chances and you rejected him and rejected him and rejected him. And he looks down and says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And here he's looking down at the world and saying, I'm not always going to strive with this world. And then he, a few chapters later, uh, drowns the entire world, of course, known as the Noahic Flood. Go to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. Let me show you probably the most clear passage in regards to this. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter number 1 and look at verse number 18. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Romans 1, 18. Sometimes people come here and they say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, sometimes you preach things and I just don't like them. Let, let me let you, let you in on a secret. Sometimes I preach things I don't like. Because I'm not the authority. The Word of God is. And if the Bible says it, we have to teach it and preach it and believe it. Romans chapter number 1, look at verse number 8. Romans chapter number 1, verse 8. The Bible says this, Romans, I'm sorry, did I say verse 8? I'm in verse 18. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18. Notice what the Bible says. For the wrath of God, and I want you to notice this, okay? Wrath, that's not a good thing, right? That's bad. If you, if you do not, John 3 says, if you do not believe on Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abideth on you, all right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in a righteousness, because that which may be known... I want you to notice what the Bible says. That which may be known of God is manifest. The word manifest means it's, it's, you're able to see it. Is manifest in them, for God hath... Notice this word. Showed it unto them. Okay? So here's what he's saying. Everything that you can know about God is manifest... He showed it to you for the invisible, verse 20, for the invisible things of Him from the creation. Do you see that? From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. How do you understand the invisible things of this world that are clearly seen? How are they understood? By the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, here's what, you, what I want you to understand. Here's what the Bible is teaching. God manifests Himself, and God shows Himself through creation. 
Meaning you can look at the world and you can look up at the stars and you can look at the moon and you can look at the beautiful earth that God has created and you can look at it with your eyes and realize there is a God that created this. There is a God that created us. And you got to understand this. No one is born an atheist. Everyone who's an atheist, everyone who's an evolutionist had to be taught that. And they had to be brainwashed to believe that. Because naturally you are born I don't care what corner of this earth you go to. The furthest tribes from, from civilization, people in that tribe will believe that there is a creator. Amen. Now look, that does not explain to them the gospel. Because the gospel is what? The good news. All that nature reveals, notice verse 18, is the wrath of God. Do you see that? All that nature reveals is the fact that there is a God and I'm going to be judged by that God. There is a wrath of God. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of reckoning. Nature does not reveal the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nature does not reveal the fact that God became man and, and died for our sins. That is our job, to go out into the highways and hedges, to go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is our job to bring the good news. But nature itself teaches the wrath of God, that there is a God, and that you will be judged by Him. Look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for that for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one will stand before God with an excuse. Verse 21, Because that when they knew God... Now listen, did they know God? Yes, they did, according to verse 21. Because when they knew God, notice, they glorified Him not as God. It's not that they didn't know about God, it's just that they rejected Him. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's, that's America. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Verse 23. Notice what the Bible says. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Isn't that what we're reading about in Isaiah 44? Made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now I want you to notice verse 24. Wherefore, the word wherefore means because of this reason. Because of this. Because of what? Because of the fact that creation shows and manifests the power and the eternal Godhead, the, the eternal power of God, because it shows the wrath of God, because they knew God and glorified Him not as God, because they held the truth in a lie, because they changed the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. Because of these reasons, he says, wherefore God also gave them up. People say, well, God doesn't give up on anyone. He gave up on them. The Bible says God gave them up. Gave them up to what? To uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. They looked at a tree, and they, instead of saying the truth, which this tree was created by a God who's bigger and greater than us, instead they took that tree and they said, this tree is God. And instead of going to school and being taught that you and I were made wondrously by God and we are creations of God, they say, oh, no, 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 we are just evolved. There is no God. Just do what you want. If it feels good, do it. Just worship yourself because there is no God. And they changed the truth of God into a lie, verse 25. And worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause. For what cause? The fact that they worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. For this cause, God gave them up. Well, God doesn't give up on people. People get a chance. You know, they can, they can reject God as many times as they want. And they'll just get chance after chance after chance. Not these guys. Not these people. For this cause, verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was me. Verse 28, and even as, okay, notice what it says, in the same way, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Okay, so did they have the knowledge of God? Yes. Did they like to retain the knowledge of God? No. He says, you know what, in the same way that you did not like to retain God in their knowledge, 
Because that's what that word, those words even as in verse 28 means, in the same way. He says, in the same way, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there. Jeremiah 6.30 defines the word reprobate as rejected. That's what the word means. He says, hey, look, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that has been rejected, a mind that God says, I- I'm done with you. I- I'm done. Now, listen to me. Everybody has a chance. Everybody has a chance to be saved, but not everybody has a thousand chances. And there comes a time in an individual's life when they harden their heart and they harden their heart and they reject God and they reject God. Hey, those Pharisees saw the miracles of Jesus Christ. Those Pharisees heard God in the flesh preach the gospel to them. Those Pharisees had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and there came a place in the ministry of Christ that Christ said, you know what? You've crossed the line. I'm done with you. I'm going to close your eyes. I don't want you to see I'm going to shut up your ears. I don't want you to hear. Lest you be converted. Lest you understand. You've got to understand this. Here's what Satan knows. If he can get you to reject the Creator, he can get you to reject the Savior. And if he can get you to reject the Savior long enough, eventually, the Savior will reject you. And then you are without hope. You are rejected. You are a reprobate. And notice, the Bible says there that they are given over to a reprobate mind. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to come back to Romans 1, so keep your finger there. But go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me show you what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Some of you are like, man, I've never heard of this before. Well, study it out. Look at what the Bible says. Don't, uh, you know, write down the the references and and study the scriptures. But go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter number 4 and look at verse number 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Notice what the Bible says. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. God has given us what he calls a conscience. A conscience is the alarm of the mind. Just like you've got nerves in your body, you've got nerves in your hand, and you accidentally put your hand on a hot stove or on an iron, it kind of warns you like, whoa, that's not, that, that's not good for me. All right, That's what a conscience is. It's kind of this alarm. It kind of just tells us like, yeah, I'm not going to cross that line. That, that, you know, I do some bad things, but I'm not going to do that. You understand that? That's what a conscience does for us. It kind of protects us. It's, it's a spiritual nervous system, all right? But the Bible teaches here that some people have had their conscience seared. Look what it says. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Speaking lies. Notice the, they're not receiving the truth. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So now they do not have the ability. What a normal person would look at and say, I'm not going to cross that line. A person who has had their conscience seared, they say, I'll cross that line. I'll do that. So how do they get to that place? When their mind has been seared, their conscience has been seared, they have a reprobate mind. Now, now go back to Romans 1. Look at the example that Paul gives. The, exba- the example that Paul gives is that of uh, sodomy. Look at verse, uh, let's see, verse number 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile. The word vile means disgusting. Vile affections. For even their women did change. Now I want you to notice these words. The natural use into that which is against nature. Even their women did change the natural use, which is that against nature. Verse 27. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use uh, of the woman, burned in, their own, uh, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. Here's what you got to understand. Here's what Paul's differentiating. He says, there are some sins that we all do that normal people do. But when you cross a line into that which is unnatural, you cross that line because your conscience has been seared. Because your mind has been given over to a reprobate mind. See, you got to understand this. It's not right. It's a sin. But it is normal for a man to get so mad at another man that he would kill that man. It's not right. It's bad. Please don't ever do that. And and don't ever confess it to me, okay? Don't come to counseling to me. Tell me you killed your neighbor and buried them somewhere, all right? But, you know, that's bad. But it's normal. A lot of people kill. Moses killed. David killed. Look, it's bad for a man to commit adultery on his wife. That is bad. 
It is a sin for a woman to commit adultery on her husband. That is a terrible, terrible thing. But it's normal for a man to be attracted to another woman that he's not married to and, and go into the sin of adultery. It's normal for a woman to go into that sin. It's not right. It's wrong. It's terrible. It's bad. But it's normal. But listen to me. It is not normal for a man to be attracted to a child. Do you understand that? And I don't understand this society where men like I, like I do, we stand up and preach these things and people say, you, are, you hate people and you guys are hate mongers. It is not normal for a man to be attracted to a child. I mean, does that make you just a fundamentalist radical to say it's wrong for adults to be attracted to children? It's not normal. It's unnatural. Those people's minds, they've been seared. I mean, is it wrong to say it's not normal for a man to be attracted to another man? It's not normal for a woman to be... Look, go find the average, hair-legged, you know, just 20-year-old kid out on the street and, and say to him, is it normal for you to be attracted to a man? The average, normal guy will say, no, that's disgusting. And how does somebody get to that place? Because they reject God and they reject God and reject God and reject God and eventually God rejects them. And their conscience is seared to the point where they have no conscience. See, there's a difference between the guy who kills a man and the guy who kills, you know, 20 women and defiles their body and there's all these weird things. There's a line you cross there. When you say, that's not natural, you're probably dealing with someone who's had their mind seared. Now, let me go ahead and make some statements because whenever I preach on this, people ask me questions and I'd like to avoid the emails. Not every reprobate is a sodomite. Let me just say that. At least I don't think they are. I believe there are people who are reprobates that are sodomites. I do believe every sodomite is a reprobate. I do believe that when you cross a line into that which is unnatural, you've crossed a line where your conscience has been seared. Let me go ahead and say this. We're not talking about an unpardonable sin here where someone performs an act of sodomy and that makes them a reprobate. And I don't want to get into a lot of details here, so I'm just going to try to be as clear and vague at the same time as I can. I don't believe because somebody performs an action that makes them a reprobate. We unfortunately live in a society where we have children that are subjected to horrible things. There are children in the foster systems right now that are being, you know, little five-year-olds are being allowed to watch things that no one should be watching. And those things can mess with the mind of an individual. And I understand that. I'm not saying, because I get phone calls from people and they think, oh no, you know, I, back when I was, I, I did something and I don't ever even want to know what they did. I, I just tell them this, look, if you're struggling with this, you, you think you're afraid you might be a reprobate, you're not, okay? A reprobate doesn't care. They've rejected God, okay? They don't care about God. If you're struggling, you say, well, am I a reprobate? I don't believe that performing the act makes you, but I will say this, when you cross the line into that which is unnatural, it is it, you, you, I believe you've crossed this line of being a reprobate. You have been rejected. Your conscience has been seared. And your mind has been rejected. And people say to me, well, I don't agree with that. And here's the thing. It's fine. You don't have to agree with me on that. But let me say this. What, does Romans, what is Romans 1 teaching then? What are all these passages teaching? Where Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and saying, I don't want you to be saved. What is he teaching? And by the way, this isn't just, you know, it, it, it happens in Scripture a lot more than you think. Let me give you another example. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. You say, do you give the gospel to sodomites? No. Do you invite sodomites to church? No. One time I was out soul winning and somebody asked me, are, Sodom, are, are homosexuals welcome to your church? And I said, No. Not at all, actually. Can I get that back? You know, uh, No, we don't want them here. Say, I can't believe you would say that. Hey, if Jesus would look at someone and say, I don't want you here. I don't want you to listen. I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to understand. I want you to die and go to hell. That's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. You've had your chance. You've crossed the line. You're done. If Jesus would say that, then why shouldn't we? You say, Are you gonna, you're going to have a ministry to pedophiles. We're not going to have a ministry to pedophiles here. They can go to the church down the street, not here. Not with my kids. Not my kids sitting in the service. I don't, I don't need them here. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me give you another example. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, look at verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now here's a passage about end times prophecy. This is talking about the Antichrist being revealed. Notice, I just want you to notice the God of the Bible because some of you have never met the God of the Bible. 
And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's, that's talking about the Antichrist. You can study out in its context, verse 10. And with all deceivableness, make note of that word, of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's not that they did not get an opportunity to receive the love of the truth. It's that they would not receive it. They did not want to be saved. Notice what it says. Verse 11. And for this cause. For what cause? For the cause that they would not receive the truth. That they would not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause. Doesn't that sound like Romans 1? God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. He says, because you had the truth and you would not receive the truth. He says, hey, for this reason, God's going to send a delusion. That they should believe a lie. Verse 12. That they all might be damned. God is sending a delusion that they all might be damned. Is that not what the Bible says? Well, I just can't believe. Let me introduce you to the God of the Bible. Let me introduce you to the Jesus of the Bible. Not exactly like you see it in the pictures. Look at verse 12. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. The Bible teaches that one day people are going to come and reject the Creator and accept the creation, the Antichrist. They're going to take a mark of the beast and they'll be done. They've crossed the line. They cannot be saved. God will send a delusion that they might not be saved. Say, Pastor Man, it's okay, well, why are you preaching this? What, what is this all about? Here's what it's about. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 1. And let me just give you some closing thoughts, and then we're going to go to Isaiah 44. Satan has an agenda. So what is his agenda? His agenda is to take your child from the times they're three and four years old, and they're in pre-K or whatever it is that you put them in in school. And he's going to start teaching them from kindergarten. There is no God. Evolution is real. The Bible is a lie. And in first grade, they're going to learn. There is no God. Evolution is real. Where atheism is real. The Bible is a lie. And in first grade, and in second grade, and in third grade, they're being taught these things. They're being brainwashed to not believe in God. And then you wonder why they're shooting up the schools. You say, well, these teenagers are just are coming into, you know, there's this guy over uh, a couple of years ago walked into a kindergarten class and killed like 25 kindergartners. You say, how do you do that? When you teach someone that they're an animal and then you're surprised why they act like an animal. We have to teach our kids and you must protect your children and teach them that, hey, there is a God that you will be held accountable to by. We've got to protect our kids. We gotta stand against this and, and don't worship your materialism. Don't worship, you know, your stuff. Don't don't create these idols where you worship creation. But here's the other reason. There are people out there who have not yet been rejected. Now they're going down that road. And please, 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 please understand what I'm saying. I did not say that every evolutionist is a reprobate. I did not say that. People walk around saying, Pastor Meta said every evolutionist is an atheist. You're not listening. But they're going down that road. And there are people that are going down that road, but they're not yet there. And you can stop them, and I can stop them, and we can knock on their door, and we can present them the gospel, and we can give them the truth, and we can give them one more opportunity before it's too late. See, that's why we do what we do. That's why we do all these things. That's why we spend time out so many. That's why we knock on doors. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell. Some of them will cross that line at the time of death, but some of them are crossing it beforehand. Because they reject God, they reject God, they reject God. And then God rejects them. Because if Satan can get you to not believe in the Creator, he can get you to reject the Savior, and he can lead you down the road that, reads, that leads to rejection. Can you get back to Isaiah 44? Let me give you just one last thing. And this has really nothing to do with the sermon. We're done with that subject, but just something that's interesting in Isaiah 44. Look at verse 7. Isaiah answers this question in Isaiah 44. I just want to cover this just as we finish up. Isaiah is basically asking this question, how do we know that our God is the, God, the true God? How do we know that that tree didn't create us? I mean, how do we know that the Hindus aren't right and that cow did not create us? How do we know that? And here's how he answers the question, verse 7. He says, and who is I, this is God speaking, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, which God can call the future, and then set it in order and make it happen. 
He said, the God who can say, hey, this is going to happen and then cause it to happen, he says, that's the God. Amen. And he looks down at the tree and says, can you do that tree? And the tree doesn't say anything because it's a tree. You know. And uh, he looks down at the metal and he says, can you do that metal? And the metal doesn't say anything because it's metal. And then God does this. Look at verse 26. Isaiah 44, verse 26. Notice what he says. He says, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, ye shall be built. I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? Isaiah's looking out into history, and he's looking at the Babylonian Empire coming and destroying the city of Jerusalem and destroying the temple. And God is saying, Hey, I'm going to build up. It says, Ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. And God is prophesying, that the, the city of Jerusalem and the temple is going to be rebuilt. Now, here's what you got to understand. At the time that Isaiah is saying this, the city has not even been destroyed yet. The temple hasn't even been destroyed yet. And God says, I'm going to rebuild the city. And they say, what, what, what city? The city. Well, the city is not destroyed. I know. It's going to get destroyed. I'm going to rebuild it. You see that temple right there? Yeah, we see the temple. That temple is going to get destroyed. I'm going to rebuild it. And then he goes a step further and he says how he's going to rebuild it. Look at verse 28. That saith of, make note of this name, Cyrus. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasures. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. So he says, he says I'm going to rebuild the temple, and I'll even tell you who I'm going to use to do it. His name is Cyrus. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Go to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. We're done right here. Ezra chapter 1. Isaiah prophesied the destruction of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple, the destruction of the city, the rebuilding of the city, and he prophesied that it would be done by a man named Cyrus. About 100 to 150 years later, Ezra comes along, and we read of his account, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So 150 years before the man Cyrus was reigning on this earth, Isaiah said, Hey, this city's going to get destroyed. The temple's going to destroy it. God's going to rebuild both, and he's going to use a man named Cyrus. And here's what God is saying. I'm God. Because you know how we know God is the God of the Bible? When you can say what you're going to do, and then set things in motion and do it, he says, that's God. And God would look down at a tree and look down at an image and look down at you and look down at your 401k and look at whatever it is that you are worshiping and say, can you do that? Can you prophesy something that's going to happen 150 years from now, set it in motion and make it happen? You can't? Oh, okay. Well, then I'm God. And if He's God, then you ought to worship Him as a creator. And if He's your creator, then you ought to worship Him as your Savior. And if He's your Savior, then you ought to tell someone else before they go down the road that leads to rejection. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for the study in the book of Isaiah. I know that it can be a lot of information, and I pray that everybody would take the sermon